Okay, you know, I'm, I'm excited about this five-week series that we're doing through 1 John. Um, to be able to take this and go, you know, on a, uh, a teaching of, of maybe a main portion of the chapter on a Sunday by one of us, I think we have five of us that will be doing that, and then to go verse by verse through the chapter on the Wednesday night. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I know um, I really enjoyed how the Lord has moved through um, with me anyway, or in my heart, um, as I had an opportunity to study for Sunday's teaching and what it really, really means to have fellowship, to have koinonia um, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we kind of walked through that. Um, uh, for those of you guys that were gone, and, and we did have a, a number of families that were in Polina, which is great. And we prayed over that Polina outreach um, that morning and prayed over John Day. This church has some pretty exciting ministries going on in outreach, you know, right now. So that's, that's really fun. So let's get through, I guess, the, the notes that I've got for chapter one. Um, we read through it a little bit Sunday, but let's, we'll take a deeper look into it verse by verse uh, this afternoon. Beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Lord, so thankful, so thankful for your abiding presence, so thankful for your living word, so thankful, Lord, that you have uh, reached down and... um, Reach down from your throne of grace, Lord, and offered yourself to repair and to heal the disease that we as humans are trapped in from the fall in the garden. Lord, so thankful that you hold out, Lord, your right hand of fellowship to us. And as we walk through these verses, Lord, as we walk through these this, this wisdom, Lord, that you've pinned down through your apostle. Lord, I just ask that you would uh, transform our minds, Lord, that you would um, 
that you would change our minds, our natural minds to understand spiritual truth. Lord, that you would guide us through the truths here, Lord, that we would receive it in our heart to know you better and to know how to walk with you. So Lord, I just pray for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. The first epistle of John is categorized by the term general epistle. And it's not, because it's not inscribed to any particular church, it's a circular letter meant to be given or or to be read in a number of churches. Matthew Henry writes, this epistle was sent in order to confirm the church in their steadfast adherence to the Lord Christ and the sacred doctrines concerning his person and office against seducers and to instigate them to adorn that doctrine by love to God and man and particularly to each other as being descended from God, united by the same head, and traveling towards the same eternal life. Although, as we talked about on Sunday, although the Apostle John was greatly advanced in age when he wrote this epistle, he was still actively ministering to the churches. He was at this time the sole actively um, remaining apostolic survivor who had intimate eyewitness association with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. One church father, Papias, who had a direct contact with John, described him as a living and abiding voice. As the last remaining apostle, John's testimony was highly authoritative among the churches, and many eagerly sought to hear the one who had firsthand experience with the Lord Jesus. This epistle was written somewhere between 90 and 95 AD, approximately 5 to 10 years after writing um, the Gospel of John. With some of the historical facts having been presented, let's take a look at just an outline, you know, at, at chapter 1. In verse 1 and 2, John gives evidence concerning Christ's person and his excellency. Verse 3, John invited his readers to join him in communion, with, in communion and fellowship with God the Father and his Son, Jesus. Verse 4, knowing Christ as John does, his person and his majesty not only brings us into communion with Jesus, but fills us with joy. Verse 5, John gives a description of God. Verse 6, he describes to us how we should walk in light of this description of God. Verse 7, John describes the benefit of walking in the light. 9, John lays out the way of forgiveness. And 8 and 10, John tells us the evil of denying our sin. So verse 1 reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. So the Apostle John begins by describing the evidence the Lord gave to Thomas of his resurrection by calling him to touch and feel the holes from the nails and his pierced side from the spear. John starts to describe the person of Jesus, that he is the great subject of the gospel, the foundation of our faith and the object of our hope. John first represents Jesus in verse 1 as the word of life. In John's gospel, 
these two words are separated. John chapter 1, verse 1 in his gospel says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A few verses later in John 1, 4, John writes, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In this first verse of our epistle, um, John uh, puts these two descriptive words together, and he calls Jesus the word of life, or in other words, the vital word. He is the word of God issued directly from the Father's mouth like a word or train of words going forth from the mouth of a speaker. He's not a mere vocal word or bare logos prophoricos, but a vital word, the word of life. Verse 2 reads like this. It says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John calls him here in verse 2, that eternal life. Christ's duration shows his excellency. As he was from eternity, he is in scriptural account necessary, essential, uncreated life. As the apostle speaks of his eternity as from everlasting, it seems evident that he speaks of him as he was in and from the beginning. When he was with the Father, before his incarnation, before the making of all things that were made. John 1, verses 2 and 3 says it like this in John's Gospel. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. He is the eternal, vital, intellectual word of the eternal, living Father. John also calls him in verse 2, he says, the life was manifested. So he calls him life manifested. He was manifested in the flesh to us, putting on flesh and blood, and dwelt among us and spoke with us. John, John 1.14, again in the Gospel of John, John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why John is so excited to invite others into this amazing fellowship with the Father and the Son. Here were condescension and kindness in that the eternal life should come visit mortals and to procure eternal life for them and to then confer it on them or to them. Verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we spent a lot of time on, on Sunday going through like an illustration or an um, analogy of what it's like to be living in a house, in a community with a father and a son whose sole purpose was saving and healing this, this rampant plague, um, this disease that we know as sin, spreading across the, the community, spreading across the region, spreading across the world. 
And so we talked about this verse, you know, um, from, for me, more of an emotional aspect as to what it means to be um, a bystander living in that house, what it means to be influenced by the mercy and the grace that was going on in that house as the father would continually send out the son with a smile on his face and the son would continue to go out sacrificing himself, laying his, his comfort on the line all for the healing of others. So in verse 3, this divine life, this word of life, presented itself to the very senses of the apostles. It says, that which we have seen, they saw him publicly and privately at a distance and up close. John says, we saw him in his life and ministry, saw him in his transfiguration. We saw him hanging, bleeding, and dying, and dead upon the cross. We saw him in his grave and then resurrected from the dead. It says, that which we have seen and heard. So not only did, uh, as John saying in his excitement as he invites us in to understand this, um, this fellowship that he has with the Father and with the Son, he also has heard, he says, that which we have seen and heard. This eternal life had a mouth and a tongue that he would speak forth the words of life. For three years, they listened to his public sermons and his private expositions. And they were moved by the words of he who spoke unlike any other man. This evident truth would open their mouths and force a public profession upon the apostles. John says in first, verse 3, he says, We declare to you. And one of the things, you guys, I know that we talked about Sunday was was, you know, once our hearts are wrapped around this, this business of what the Father and what the Son are doing in this grand plan of healing those that would come to Him with their disease, with their sin. And that as, as the closer that uh, we are with that work, the more we want to be part of that work, the more we want to help out in that work, and the more we can't help ourselves but to open our mouths for the cause of the gospel of that work. So again, this truth opened the mouths of, of John the Apostle. As John says in verse 3, he says, we declare to you, you know, in Acts chapter 4, verse 20, as Peter and John were, um, were being persecuted at that time, they said, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. John declares and he testifies in verse 3 that you may share with us in our privileges and rejoicing in having fellowship with them, with the Father and with the Son. He says, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John invites us to have communion with the Father 
and with the Son and having joyous relationship with them and receiving heavenly blessings from them and in our spiritual abiding in them. We have now a supernatural fellowship with God the Father and Jesus our Lord as a foretaste of of our everlasting home that we will have with them and the enjoyment of being with him in that heavenly glory. John writes these things in verse 4. He says that he, he, he declares this truth that your joy may be full. It should be joyous to us that the eternal Son should come and seek, come to seek and to save that which was lost, according to Luke chapter 18. That he has made full atonement, atonement for our sins, that he's conquered sin and death and hell, and that he lives as our intercessor, our advocate with the Father, and that he will come again to perfect and glorify his enduring believers. Verse 5 says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The apostle having declared the truth and dignity of the author of the gospel, brings a message or a report from him to us. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The apostles are messengers of the Lord Jesus to bring his mind and messages to the world and to the churches. Just like in this present dispensation, in this present time, Jesus sends us, his messengers, to others just through normal, everyday people like ourselves. So relating to the nature of God with whom we are to serve and desire this fellowship, here is the message that John is recording here by and through the Holy Spirit from the word of life, from the eternal word. He says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This speaks of the excellency of God's divine nature. He is everything that beauty and perfection can be represented as by light. He is self-active, uncompounded spirituality, purity, wisdom, holiness, and glory. There is no defect or imperfection, no mixture of anything alien or contrary to absolute excellency. No mutability or capacity of any decay in him. In him is no darkness at all. Verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Here begins a just conclusion that should be drawn from this report or this message that John is is giving to us. This is for consideration and conviction of all those who profess to be followers or disciples of Jesus Christ, yet continue to live lives in unrepentant sin, lives that are opposed to God, as if God doesn't see it 
or if God doesn't care. These people have no fellowship with God and do not practice the truth. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There is one basic premise that is absolute in order to have fellowship with God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That we must acknowledge that we are sinners. We must be willing to confess our sin. And we must be willing to repent of our sin. There can be no salvation and thus no fellowship without repentance. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. We must be willing to walk through life with a humble repentant heart that is ready to confess and repent of any and all sin of of which the Holy Spirit even ever so slightly begins to convict us of. As we walk in absolute transparency before God Almighty with a humble, repentant heart, we have fellowship with God the Father and we have fellowship with God the Son. We also have fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the blood of the cross, we are cleansed from all sin. And, you know, I I kind of, as I get to a point like this, as we start talking about walking in the light and, and what it means to walk in absolute translucency or transparency, not only before God the Father, but amongst each other. You know, um... Christ in Luke chapter 11, I think it's verse 29 and 30 or or something like that. He says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Um, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am lowly in heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And you know, as as we understand and we're drawn near to Christ and we... Number one, get a view of who he is, of his absolute perfection and holiness, of his power and glory. And we get an opportunity to kind of reflect on who we are in our sin, in our filth. As we, as we get an opportunity to confess before him, And then start habitually making sure that everything that we think, everything that we feel, everything that we do is brought before him and before his throne to where all is brought across uh, for his approval. Then we can start, once we get broken to that point, you guys. And we start feeling what it's like to be clean and clear and to not have to worry about our own identity that has been held up, falsely propped up as to who we want everybody else around us to think we are. Then we can be 
like Christ had said, where he says, I'm lowly in heart. We can start walking like Christ being that lowly in heart where we don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. We don't have to be um, propping up an identity that everybody knows us to be. Because when we truly understand, again, God the Almighty Father and Creator of heaven and of earth has sent His only begotten Son to die for us and shed His, His blood at the cross for us, then we can start walking in that transparency and we can start um, being real with ourselves. We can start being real with our spouses or those around us close. We can start being real with the people with our neighbors, being real with our people um, that we work with. You know, when he says in, in... you know, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Darkness is hidden, unrepentant sin. Something that we believe that we've swept into a corner, put in the back corner of our minds, and we can harbor there as if God doesn't see. And when we drop all that, when we unloose all of that, Relationships begin to heal. Uh, Fellowship with Jesus becomes more real, becomes more intense. We can feel His touch. We allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict us in things that we wouldn't before because we're broken. And because we're acting in obedience to the urging of the Holy Spirit of God on our lives. You know, so, so the very first, as I was, as the Lord was drawing me close to him, so this was 10 years ago, and probably starting maybe a year or so prior to that, the only Bible I had, you guys, was a handed-down Bible from Linda's dad, who was, um, boy, probably 40 years older than Linda was. And he had... The, the first place I found in there where he had underlined particular passages, one was in Psalms chapter, four, chapter 14, verse 19. It's the last verse in that psalm. And it was underlined in there, and I took a look at it, and I thought, well, you know, man, as, I'm, as, as the Lord's touching my heart and drawing me near to him, as I'm trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus, and I'm looking at this underlined verse, and I'm, and, and what it says as I begin to memorize it as I begin to to consume this verse and make it a part of me. David is crying out for that same exact translucency and transparency of what it really means to walk in the light. As he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. David's entire desire and yeah he had his ups and downs he had his fallings he was human like we are he was no different than we are but he continued to desire that God would reign in his life 
in order to reign in his life, he had to start with his thoughts. He had to start with his heart's desires. And as we read in this first epistle, this message that the Apostle John in his old age, in his excitement to invite us near, verse 5 through verse 10 have particular parameters as to how this fellowship can be had. So it begins by describing who God is. That there is no fuzzy areas, there's no gray areas in who God is. God is light, and in him is no darkness. And if we have darkness in us, then we don't walk in fellowship with him. In essence, we're not saved. That's what John's saying here. We all have sin we walk in. We're not cleansed absolutely from sin. We struggle with that. What John's um, plea with us is, walk in the light as he is in the light. And then he begins to give us the, um, the healing prescription as to how to stay cleansed and walk in the light. It says, as God is the eternal boundless light and the Lord Jesus is from him the light of the world, so the believer is to be that light which shines here below. Those that walk in the light show that they know God, that they have received the Holy Spirit of God, and that the very image of God has been stamped upon their souls. So let's, work, let's look at verse 8, and maybe verse 8 and verse 10. Verse, verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 says, if I skip verse 9, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, there's something similar that's going to be that Rory, as he takes on chapter 2 next week, that'll be, that is similar. Um, chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's parameters that we operate by as we desire to walk in fellowship with this pure and perfect and holy God whose light is so strong and so powerful the analogy i've always went to in my simple little mind you guys is that it's like a white hot light of an incinerator and sin is like a crunchy fallen leaf in the fall how close can that sin get to the almighty god without it just poof lighting on fire and just burning away without the shed blood of Christ washing us 
clean from our sin and being wrapped in his righteousness, we have no way of getting as close as John describes he is to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 8 and verse 10, as we had read, it says, For those of us that deny the fact of our own sin and sin nature, there are dreadful consequences. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, it says in verse 8. We must beware of deceiving ourselves and denying or excusing our sin. Let us not confine sin, sin to terms that are palatable to our modern day culture and thus fall into deception. You know, a lot of times we tend to want to categorize sin as something that's immoral, something that is um, looked at as awful in our culture. What about the sin of um, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? How about the sin of putting Christ on the back burner that we can attain what we need to attain in the business world? What about putting Christ somewhat on a separate throne in our heart that the real throne in our heart is we take a look at our daily, at the hours we spend every day and our focus in our mind of which the Lord God Almighty can see every one of them our thoughts, the meditations of our heart. Like David had said, let's not be deceived and be caught just dismissing the sin because it isn't, um, because it isn't disliked in our culture. Matthew Henry writes this. He says, the Christian religion is the religion of sinners. Of such as have sinned, and in whom sin in some measure still dwells. The Christian life is a life of continued repentance, humiliation for, and mortification of sin, of continual faith in, thankfulness for, and love to the Redeemer, and hopeful, joyful expectation of a day of glorious redemption in which the believer shall be fully and finally acquitted and sin abolished forever. In verse 10, as it talks about, um, we make him a liar. Speaking of the Lord, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, the denial of our sin not only deceives ourselves, but reflects dishonor upon God. God has given his testimony to the continued sin and sinfulness of the world by providing us a sufficient, effective sacrifice for sin that will be needed even to the continued sinfulness of believers themselves by requiring them to continually confess their sins and apply themselves by faith to the blood of that sacrifice. Therefore, if we say either that we have not sinned or do not yet sin, then the word of God is not in us. Let's take a look finally at verse 9. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the apostle then instructs the believer in the way to the continued pardon of his sin. Here we have first in this this verse the duty of the believer. So our duty is if we confess our sins. Penitent confession and acknowledgement of sin are the believer's business and the means of his deliverance from his guilt. Secondly, in this verse 9, we have the encouragement and assurance of the promise of God that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is just to himself and his glory who has provided such a sacrifice by which his righteousness is declared in the justification of sinners. He is also just to his son who has not only sent him for such service but promised to him that those who come through him shall be forgiven on his account. I love Isaiah 53.11 that says regarding this, um, this text, it says, He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for she, he shall bear their iniquities. He is gracious also, and so will forgive to the contrite confessor all his sins. He will cleanse him from the guilt of all unrighteousness and in due time deliver him from the power and practice of it. Um, this verse 9 was probably the beginning, you guys, as, as I testify to you, at least in my testimony, of, of my understanding and walking with Jesus Christ from the very beginning of me being saved 10 years ago. And that is that he is faithful and just to forgive me all my sins. And that's the sins I know about. And there's many sins, you guys, that I've walked in that I had no clue I was walking in, that I wasn't aware of, or maybe the Lord hadn't made it apparent to me at that point in time. So the depth of this verse where it says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and and just to forgive us our sins. Those sins that we know about, those sins we confessed. But, but the Lord goes even further in that he says, and to forgive us of all, or to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So it goes deeper in this verse 9 of just forgiving our confessed sins. It opens the floodgates for him to go deep into our darkest part of our soul and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we want to walk in the light and we want to walk in transparency with God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ, and we want to walk in that same transparency, that open, loving, abiding in Jesus with and amongst one another, like here as brothers and sisters who love Jesus, that has got to be and should be part of not only our, our 
everyday prayer life. I mean, not to make it just a, a set of rote, memorized words, but more of a walking in of us being about our Father's business. And that's being cleansed, being washed, being wrapped in the new, fresh, white robes of Christ's righteousness. And then being empowered and filled anew with the Holy Spirit of God to walk through yet another day to give Him glory and to give Him honor and to serve Him with who we are in the flesh. So guys, let's pray. And Ron, if you want to come on up and close us in song. Holy, gracious Father, in Jesus' precious name, Lord, we are so thankful that the veil has been torn. We are so thankful, Lord, that the way has been been worked out, Lord, that we may enter into your presence. We understand just by this first chapter, Lord, of, of this epistle, that we cannot enter into your presence in um, pride, in the haughtiness, Lord, um, of our arrogance. We can't enter into your presence um, trying to uphold some identity that we've um, held on to and maybe have built on our entire lives. But Lord, we must come to you broken. We must come to you with an understanding that we are diseased and we need healing. We must come to you, Lord, with an understanding that you are the only healer the only great physician, the only one that can reach out his loving hand, your loving hand, Lord, and touching our diseased-ridden souls. Lord, we ask that, that you would take these words down deeply into our hearts, Lord. You allow us to meditate on the truth of this chapter. And Lord, we would continually be about our Father's business in declaring you righteous, confessing our sin that you would declare us justified and cleansed. That we would be able to, as as the Apostle John in his excitement of this fellowship, declare to others this wonderful abiding relationship we have with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.